You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. This episode is brought to you by Zeiss. Everyone knows hunters need good glass. And with the Zeiss SFLs or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars, your hunting time will be enhanced with this great bit of kit. Optimized to be as lightweight and compact as possible, the Zeiss SFL binoculars are a great addition to the SF family. The new ultra-high definition concept ensures true-to-life color reproduction and the highest level of detail. Thanks to its Smart Focus concept, The focus wheel is perfectly positioned, enabling fast and precise focusing, even with gloves on. Find your local Zeiss stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. Okay, we are super excited about today. We have a person who, geez, all these TV shows are probably what got me into hunting and he is, I think the term living legend would be an understatement. Jim Shockey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing, guys? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, nice to have you on. Finally, it's been a it's been a good time since we first spoke, and it was actually on Matt's birthday where we got the message saying you were coming on. So that was a pretty good birthday present there for Matt. Yeah, happy birthday! I, I think you might have been better off with with a birthday cake or something. But <laughs> well, I'm a bit too much cake at the moment. I'll get to get back into training. But <laughs> I hear you. So, Jim, well, thanks for joining us. We have like a million questions, but. Um, I just one of the big ones for us is the success of everything you've done, and I've I basically have watched your episodes from Australia from Uncharted season five that many times. Um, I want to know what was your favourite thing you did down here in Australia when you were hunting? Boy, oh boy, that that uh, <clears throat> I mean, our, our daughter Eva went to university at Bond University in Australia, so I mean, it was pretty fun to go down there and visit her. Uh, you know, but that's not that's not exactly hunting. Uh, she, let's see, our son went up to the Northern Territories with us, and so did Eva on different trips. Uh, there was the time that the Cape Buffalo, or the water buffalo, actually came walking right towards Branlin and I. He had a muzzleloader, and I was filming out behind him about uh, 20 yards away, and I, you hear me on the camera saying, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, because it, it was like, literally walking right up to him uh, and and he didn't use the muzzleloader and shot it in the chest and it ran right by him uh, and and went down on camera like right 20 yards from me but he, when he when he he could see his hand afterwards he was in this is you know, he was he was shaking so I mean that was that was incredible Eva getting her uh, water buffalo and my father as well on another trip uh, got both him and our son Branlin got water buffalo together out on the, the floodplains. So, I mean, I, I've, I've hunted Australia a ton to try and pull any of the memories, but any, anything with our family was, that's always up here. I don't care about world records or whatever. It's, if it's with family, that that's really what hunting's all about. Well, Matt and I have both got young families and you've mentioned Eva and Branlin there. We've both got, I've got a four-year-old, Matt's got a two-year-old and then some twins that have just come out. And it's really exciting for us. We're both first-generation hunters. It's exciting for us to hear this lineage of you passing it on through your kids and then and then through their kids as well. Did you come from a line of hunters? Yeah, I, I it, you kind of need to define hunters. My, my dad and my uncles, they went out to go shoot 
meat. You mm-hmm. know, like they they wanted meat. Job so done. and and you know we didn't have a lot of money. So if we didn't get a moose every year in the fall, then then uh, we ate macaroni for the winter. Mm. So so it, it was uh, you know they were hunters, but but to my dad. That deer running across the field was was just a hamburger running across the field. There was there was no sort of spiritual relationship with it. It was pure sustenance, um, and and you know I, I think there's a there's a another level of hunting where where the hunter is actually uh, involved spiritually with with you know in, in touch with their ancestral soul, uh, and that that is a uh, that that to me is you know, a little bit higher than just purely going after the meat. So on Ancestry, you're joining us from your museum at the moment. And I mean, that looks absolutely amazing. It is something that's on my bucket list to get over and have a look at because I'm staring at yourself and in the background, we've got this big Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton and a mammoth there over your other shoulder. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and, and where that journey's come around from? I started when I was 10 years old. And, and as I said, we didn't have a lot of money. So I grew up in a trailer park and you know, it was, it was escapism for me. You know, I, I had national geographic. I could get those from the, the uh, library for free. So I'd look at the national geographics and say, I want to go there. I'm going to collect this. I want to see this. I want to meet these people. I want to do photography like this. Um, and, and so I, I, I started at 10 with this museum and envisioning this museum and I've kept on that course my entire life. Uh, I'm 65 years old now, so literally 55 years of focus on this one lifetime goal. Uh, I say if you you drive in one direction for half a century, you end up somewhere. Mm. And this was my goal, and I, I kept focused on that uh, on that goal my entire life. Uh, and what you're seeing, this is one room in here in this museum, but it's. Uh, it's it's a large building. I, I don't know. You guys probably use meters. I'm not sure. Do you use feet or what do you oh, use? Yeah, well, I'm known for liking both metric and yeah, imperial, yeah. so I can understand, but I'll break it yeah, down we, for Matt. Well, it's, it's about 17,000 square feet. Um, so it's a, it's a big place. And it's an old school that our children actually went to, went to school here. In this room, I've been to many Christmas pageants and basketball games. There's actually right above my head one of the old basketball hoops in here. So, so it was it was a matter of you know keeping focus on that goal for my entire life, and then finding the right venue, which is kind of nice. It's only a mile from our home here. Right now, if worst case scenario, and a fire comes through, and you can only grab a handful of items from there, what's your <laughs> favorite couple of items, or maybe the hardest ones you've come across? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a funny thing. The the all the art, like you you can see a. A shaman figure right over my shoulder, Northwest Coast, and you know there's art pieces all through this. You you can't see the cultural pieces in this room. This is more of a natural history room, but uh, there every single one of them was made by a person for ceremonial reasons, for love, for utilitarian reasons, and they put their their soul into the into creating this object. So to make or to pick one over another. And say that that's better than this one, or that's better. Um, I, I can't do it. I, I uh, it, because it, that's pretty much all that's left of that person. That their entire existence on this earth—that's what's left—is one mask, for instance, or or one carving, a totem pole. Um, so, so to pick one over all the others, 
I, I, I probably would just sit there in a dither and not be able to, I couldn't do it because it's all equal. Whose life do you save? You know, and this is all that's left of their life. Um, there's more valuable pieces, but, you know, I hate dragon financing into deciding who lives and who doesn't live or what piece survives and what piece doesn't. Um, so I, I would probably, like I say, sit there in a dither and hope that our state-of-the-art sprinkler system in here does its job and, and uh, saves the building. Uh, it, 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 it is literally state-of-the-art, so it's uh, they tell me that no fires ever started in a building and more than four of the sprinklers have gone off before it's drenched. You know, fire can't exist. So so I'd, I'd you know, hope we did it right when we, we did the renovations on this building. That really resonates with me in just what so many things mean. And, and one of the things we're facing here in Australia at the moment with hunting is they're, they're really – they're wanting to go down the pathway of um, restricting it in multiple states and they've just attempted sort of ban duck hunting and um, they're looking at trying to bring in poison for the deer and just, you know, try and do the best to wipe them off the landscape. And I don't think that the re- – I don't think they have the understanding of how much it means to different people and that cultural connection to our ancestors and what's happened. Now, you've been across the world hunting and on so many amazing journeys. Is there any – I know you said family before, but is there a favourite place for you to hunt and a favourite a favorite species? Uh, you know, there's that's two different questions. The, the I'll start with the second one first. My, my favourite big game animal to hunt is moose. Uh, Alaskan Yukon moose up in the Yukon, the most remote wilderness left in this planet. Uh, we've got an outfitting territory out there, Rogue River outfitting territory. That's it's about 7.5 million acres. So, so it's you know, you guys in Australia have some awful big ranches. Uh, this one's bigger than most of those. Uh, uh, and there's not a single road, not a single house, just our camps on various lakes that we have to fly into. Um, you know, so so to go out into that remote wilderness and go after moose, and of course, moose is what we what I have always lived on. I mean, I, I didn't even know you could go buy a cow until I think it was in high school. You know, to me, it was you ate moose or you ate macaroni if you didn't get a moose. Um, so moose are, have a very special place in my heart uh, as a big game animal. Uh, you know, because of where they live too, the remoteness. That you know, the first part of your question, you know, favorite place. My wife asked me. Um, Louise, uh, and we've been married 38 years. She's my soulmate. And she asked me if there's one place I had been in my travels that I wanted her to see. And that was Ethiopia, the Omo Valley in Ethiopia. Unbelievable. The National Geographic 25 years ago said it was the last frontier in Africa. And it truly was in those days. Um, you know, I've been there several times and, and I took Louise there. This, you know, this is now a long time ago, relatively speaking. Um, I think they've dammed off the the Chinese have come in and dammed off the Omo River and there's a city there now where we were you know it was it was just the hammer and the care of people the wildlife it was spectacular um, you know not t-shirt cultures where they're wearing t-shirts from North America that have been shipped over there they're actually wearing the traditional garb and and nothing has changed they practice their you know all their traditions other than they're carrying AK-47s. You know, other, otherwise it was like stepping back into Africa a hundred years ago. And, and like I said, I haven't been there since they dammed off the Omo River and I, I would probably be heartbroken to see it, but I get it. I mean, it's, you know, eight point whatever billion of us on this earth and we need the resources, uh, need the energy. You know, people want to have, you know, 
TV to be able to watch Housewives of whatever. Uh, so, you know, I guess that's we're, we're modernizing the world for eight point whatever billion people. So you have to damn rivers. I can think of some better TV shows to watch than Housewives. Yours is there's several of yours yeah. that I can list. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to I was trying to pick the lowest. I, I was thinking Honey Boo Boo, but I I think Honey <laughs> off the air now for a bunch of years. On the moose topic, you've been to Russia on Kamachka moose. Now that's one of my I'm 33 and I've set that goal for my 40th birthday to head over there for that. My wife's not too keen with the current state of Russia. And prior to that, you were talking about the things in the museum that were handmade. On that trip, you picked up a pair of handmade shoes that were still covered in dung and things like that. Now, one, that would have been customs would have hated me bringing those sorts of things home. But it's really important to see those things in your show that you're you're not all just about the killing and the hunting. It's you love the culture, you love the humans, the handmade stuff. And, and that really resonates with us through your shows. So I just wanted to thank you for that as well. But how was that Russian trip and is it a scary place? Uh, no, you know, we, we the, the, you always have to remember the vast majority of the people in the world are good people. They want the same things that we want. We, you know, we want our children to be healthy. Uh, we want a roof over their head, you know, clothing, food and clean water. And then beyond that, we start getting into the luxuries like education and, and uh, you know, fancier clothes. So everybody in the world wants the same thing, or not everybody, the vast majority of the people in the world. And what happens, you, you get bad actors that, that get in charge of a country, whether they take control um, militarily or, or, you know, they're gangsters and, and they, they run the countries like that and they, they, essentially force the people to to adhere to their ideologies as opposed to what the people really care about which is their like i say the same things we care about so so when you when you bear that in mind you realize well there's nothing to fear over there really there there's the you know the hierarchy you know the higher ups and they use the military for to attain their purposes but for you know they're they're not likely to go after you in in Kamchatka looking for a moose in fact they're happy to get your foreign dollars in so so i i've never been afraid of that i, I mean i don't fear isn't a, isn't an emotion that i i even pay attention to because it's a waste of emotions and and you can't react in a given situation so fear isn't a isn't something that i feel anyway but uh, I, I wouldn't be afraid to go to to russia even right now um again because i know the vast majority of the people I'm going to get along with because we we see things the same way. You know, we might have different different uh, leaders and speak different languages, eat different food, be different colors, dress differently, but I know that they care about the same things that I do. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be worried about going over to Russia at all. So, you touched on emotion there, and I obviously follow you on Facebook and see everything that's been happen happening. You got a re- you recently got a replica of your father's firearm that was stolen a while back. It re- looked like it was a really emotional event for you. Can you tell us what that meant to you? Because it was pretty awesome, I'm not going to lie, to see that being made and what a beautiful rifle. Yeah, it was, you know, dad's rifles were stolen uh, from our ranch not too long after he passed away, actually. So so those were, you know, they're heirlooms. And, and a lot of people have, uh, we talked earlier about fear, uh, a lot of people are so afraid of firearms. There's no reason to be afraid of the firearm. It's the people that are holding the firearms. But 
that was his old 270 that he bought in 1952. Um, and I mean, it was all the new one, the replica they made of his gun was a, had a serial number very close to his serial number. Um, they sought out the, the same mounts and rings and bases and, and scope. Um, and, and the only thing they couldn't replicate was all the scratches that that, that gun had, had suffered through its, its lifetime, which gave a character. Um, you know, and, and it's it was it was really amazing to 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 just realize that people cared that much that they would spend six years to create that that firearm, you know, after Dad's original one, and and then present it to me on stage. I had no idea. I was totally uh, you know shocked when, when. In fact, my script didn't have any of this, and I and I was trying to figure. Well, they obviously messed up the script. Something I'm going to have to carry the show right now till they figure out what's going wrong. And then, and and then our daughter walked out. And I go, what is going on? And then they presented that that exact copy of my dad's gun. Yeah, it was it was emotional because the memories that are attached to the firearm, and that, that's what, like I say, people are afraid of guns, but it, it's just the opposite. You know, a, a firearm is is a um, you know, when you, you your father carried that for seventy years, almost you know, sixty years, and and you know the memories that are associated with it, you know, that's uh, yeah, that that that's what firearms mean, you know, to us that are outdoors people, live the field to table lifestyle, and and people in the urban centers don't understand why do you need to have a firearm? Well, because you know it's the same thing as a photograph that's been passed down of your family. You know, you understand that. Why wouldn't you understand this? You know, or that that precious heirloom, a painting, whatever it happens to be, you know that's what a firearm is. So so to have that suddenly you know brought from being lost, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely emotional. It's something I look forward to being able to pass on to my kids is is my firearms. I recently repurchased one that I sold because I was young and silly and needing some more money, and I've bought bought that back now into the home from the person I sold it to. So I can I can really resonate with that you know learning to yearning to pass on a legacy you've spent 50 odd years hunting and building this legacy and now you've turned into something different with a new publication and a new direction yeah i i stopped international travel in 2019 um you know october and and i it was mozambique and, and i decided that back in 2016 because our children were getting married, I knew there'd be grandchildren coming, and and you know it takes two to three years of front loading to get these expeditions set up. Um, and I, I also knew that I needed to sit down and write a, a novel. I had a novel percolating in my head for 25 years. I, I mean, on so many trips, you know, you're you're sitting there on a stand, you have nothing better to do, so you let your your mind. You know, where I could have written the first hundred pages watching television to tell you the truth, because I'd re I'd written them already in my brain. Um, so so I I needed to do all that. You know, the the kids and also grandkids and my wife. I hadn't hardly seen those three hundred six days a year on the road for twenty five years or twenty years. So I I sat down when I stopped the international travel and, and wrote a novel. Uh, at the time, it was titled you know. Man of Sores, but uh, it was a thriller, and it's based on this, everything you're seeing here, the collection of art um, and the travel around the world, and and uh, I, it was probably about 80% true, and then 20% fiction, 
fiction. I didn't have to make up very much uh, on this because you, you know, I've lived a life that is just, you, you just encounter interesting situations and people over time, especially when you're trying to gather, you know, the natural history artifacts, but also the art, cultural arts from around the world. So that's what this novel is about. I wrote it, Simon & Schuster out of New York City, which is the biggest commercial publisher in the world. Uh, they loved it. Emily Bessler is the rock star of editing. Uh, she's discovered some of the greatest modern writers. Uh, she personally edited it. And uh, I, just, I see right now it, it has just come up where you can pre-order it. And the, the title is Call Me Hunter. Um, the main character in the book is, is his name is Hunter. Um, but the protagonist is a young lady and the uh, villain is a animal rights guy, you know, so, so it's a, it's a pro hunting book, but it, it went through the whole woke you know, society over there in New York city. They, they love it because it's, it's truth. I mean, I, I've lived this life and I'm writing a truth with, like I say, 20% fiction. The the 20% that would put me in jail is what I say is the fiction part. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's just coming out right now. It's up for pre-order. Call me Hunter. Anybody can Google that and and uh, pre-order it. I think it'll be in bookstores um, in North America in October sometime. Um, they're planning to print 125,000 copies, which is unheard of for a first ed- edition. I mean, you know, well-known authors, they only print 50,000. So, so yeah, they're, they're, they have high expectations for it. Hopefully, you know, it'll be a movie or television series at some point. Well, look, congratulations on the success of that. That's amazing. 125,000 copies in, and you know, that's, it's mind blowing to think the journey that you've come across and what you've done in your life. It's, I mean, you've probably lived many lives into one, which is just awesome where where do you go next i mean you've done all these brilliant things and you've got successful outfitters and tv shows and and now this book is just fantastic what's next on on the list for you <laughs> you know i'm 65 and and uh you know you guys are young but i, I can actually see the the end ahead it's not that far you know i mean in 15 years i'll be 80 you know, and, and I, I mean, there's some pretty spry and able 80-year-olds running around, but uh, for the most part, you know, people start slowing down significantly after 65. So, um, you know, the, really the only thing left for me that I'd be interested in is is politics. And and the reason is, is because I, I, I truly believe that, you know, our, our political systems have been hijacked by people with ideologies that their, their best interests aren't necessarily the best interests of the of the people and and government is for the people not not you know you're not governing the people for yourself you're you know you're there to represent the people and do what they want and and you know sometimes you know my mother made me take cod liver oil you know because it was good healthy and it tasted horrible but it was good for me you know and and, and I don't think that the people nowadays that are in power, I can't, you know, I'm not painting everybody with the same brush, but uh, I think good people don't stand up and and uh, and represent, you know, the majority of us because who needs it? I mean, it's an ugly, dirty, nasty business nowadays, and and you're the whole purpose is to get reelected, not to actually stand for anything. Uh, I don't 
care about getting reelected and I don't, you know, I, I don't need the money. I don't want their wage and I don't want their pension. You know, I'm doing just fine. So I, I the only thing I could think of if I'm if I'm granted enough time in this life and, and still sentient and, and able, um, that would be the only thing that I, I might look to. I, I have to write a sequel to this novel. Mm-hmm. That's a two book deal with Simon and Schuster. So I do have to sit down and write that. But if I'm still able, then then I'd probably devote myself, give, give back to the community. I mean, this entire museum, you can't, you're seeing one little room of it, but we're donating it all to a foundation, the, the land, the building, the contents, um, and I'm giving it enough money to pay expenses for 40 years. You know, that's, and I don't want the tax write-offs. I, we're doing it because I truly believe, you know, you don't own anything. You're just a steward of it while you're alive, and I don't need the money. You know, I live pretty simply, really. So, and my wife and I both agree that it's better to give back to the community. So, you know, that's chattels, that's things and property we can give back to the, you know, so we'll be here for the next 40 years for sure. But uh, you also can give your time. And and that's why politics is about the only thing that might interest me going forward. Uh, you know, but it depends. It depends on Louise, you know, my soulmate. She's not well right now, so... You know, I would never drag her into that if, if I was on my own. And it's a different thing, you know, because what are you going to do, send me home? You know, I can actually say exactly what I think and, and believe and, and act out what I believe is right based on a lifetime of, of living honorably and, and ethically. Um, but I don't know that I would, you know, if Louise, if, if she's still with us, then, then uh, I don't know that I would even do that. Then I might just be a grandfather and sit back and I don't know write a third novel. Who knows? But yeah, politics is about the only thing left for it that I'm in, you know on my my bucket list. And it's not even a bucket list. It's just I think if you can, you should. So that's why I would do it. Well, we're on the other side of the country, but the world, I suppose. But we can appreciate that. And I mean, we can't vote for you, but I can understand why you would be someone that would make a difference. And you've made a difference in the hunting world, definitely. In in that conversation, you were just you're, you're talking about interesting people, and on the older end of the the age bracket, a friend of mine. I'm lucky to call him a friend, and I know you've hunted with him a few times. Was Larry Wysoon? <laughs> you're, you're calling Larry Wysoon a friend on, in public? Yeah, I know. Well, I know. What do you think? Yeah, Larry. Larry is a true gentleman. He, he he's is. an awesome, awesome guy. Great writer. Yeah, Larry, Larry and I have been friends for forty years. Yeah, well, he, I spoke to him just the other day and told him you were coming on, and he told me a dozen or so embarrassing stories, but I won't do that to you. He he asked me to ask you about the vehicle that you drove on Vancouver Island when you were chasing bears together. Well, of course, he did. It's he, one of his he, favorites. Yeah, he. Uh, he asked me the one day we were headed out, you know, has any, you know, it's remote. I mean, you're, there's nobody, it's 40 miles out, out into the wilderness. And, and uh, he said, does your vehicle, have you ever had a breakdown? And I said, no, never. And, you know, never. It's, these vehicles are trustworthy. We, you know, we repair them all the time. We're on top of it. And, and sure enough, we got out to about the furthest point you can get. And, and the, I think it was a fuel pump died and, you know, it's inside the gas tank, so it was an old Suburban. Uh, so we started walking, and and, and and luckily, luckily, a logger came by and, and uh, gave us, a, gave us a, a ride. Otherwise, we'd have been, you know, 
walking for probably all day at least, and and Larry would have been whining the entire way. <laughs> but uh, the, and then the next day, you know, I, I we towed that one back. I went out in another vehicle, and he said to me, "Do you ever get stuck?" When I mean stuck, like where you can't get out, and I, you know, he, I, I said never. And sure as heck, this was the furthest point you could possibly go on the territory. And uh, I went into a big, big deep, deep dip, dip that the bottom had been, I don't know, turned into a slurry of muck and mud. And it looked dry on the surface. And then I broke through and and we were literally hanging, like the wheels hanging off, uh, trapped. And there's no way we we're getting out of there and and again, luckily, some loggers had seen us drive up that road from across on another mountain, actually. And they came over thinking that if we tried to go through that ditch, we were going to get caught because they had someone get caught the week before in that same ditch. Uh, so they they pulled us out. But, uh, yeah, I can't believe Larry would tell those stories as opposed to, you know, how wonderful a guide I was and how successful his hunt was and how big a bear he got. It was either that or the, the sushi stories with Jim Zumbo and Tony Knight. Oh yeah, you know we used to order platters of that and just eat till we couldn't move, filled with self-loathing. Yeah, they they were great. Uh, Jim Zumbo's. I just talked to him the other day. I'm going to see him actually this week. Uh, great legend in our industry. You know, outdoor life hunting editor for decades. Uh, you know, decades because he's about 150 years old right now. So <laughs> we better get him on for right of reply. Yeah, Z- Zumbo's a great guy. He's awesome gentleman. Uh, Larry, great guy. Tony Knight. You know, God bless him as, uh, and rest his soul because he, he was an awesome guy, got me into the industry back in the 80s. So, yeah, 84, whatever, I think I started with his night MK85, which was, you know, 85 was the year it came out, uh, the inline muzzleloader for the first time. So, yeah, we, we've got, we go back a long, long, long ways. I'm surprised Larry can still remember any of those because he also was 150 years old at least as far as <laughs> I At least he looked that old. He's still going. <laughs> Well, Jim, we really appreciate your time coming on to the podcast and congratulations on the publish, getting to the publish and a two book deal. And that's just such amazing to to have watched your journey. And as I said earlier in the podcast, you're the reason I got into hunting and watching all those TV shows. And over here, I had to buy the My Outdoor TV app to be able to access them. And my poor wife, that's all she uh, watches all the time. And uh, she's probably seen you more than I have, Nelly. But um, we appreciate it. We wish you all of the success with that book. I know I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. And as you said, it's pre-sale now. Um, well done just on such an amazing life and journey and we're honoured to have you on the show we we appreciate your time so thanks for coming on it's my pleasure gentlemen and, and good luck with the uh, the fight down there to keep hunting uh, you know it's so important for the wildlife for a way of life you know they don't let them take that away it's not it's not right and you know that so good good luck with that fight to all, all the hunters listening thanks for that and I yeah, can't wait to come and see you over in the museum and and have a chat and have a look around and get a signed copy of the book at some point. Perfect. We'll get, we'll give you a personal tour. Appreciate Fantastic. it. All right, Jim, thanks for joining us. And I hope listeners, you enjoyed it, but uh, bye for now. See you guys. Take care, gentlemen. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. Hunters need good glass. And with a Zeiss SFL or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars, you'll be on the hill longer and seeing further. The lens diameter has been reduced by 2 mil making it possible to decrease their overall weight 
by up to 20% compared to the Zeiss Victory SF models. Not only that, the SFL binoculars are up to 30% lighter than comparable products from competitors. Find your local Zeiss SFL stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.